34 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lincook and I am your host today. Today's episode is called Calypso and Cricket, or maybe Cricket and Calypso, we'll see. Not that it matters too much, but as you can imagine, we're talking about sports and more specifically, actually, um, a cricket match that took place on the 29th of June 1950 between the West Indies and England at Lords. Now, if you can cast your minds back and put this in context, 1948, the Empire Windrush arrives at Tilbury Docks. 1950 is this cricket match between two different parts of the world, the West Indies being a kind of conglomeration of like all the Caribbean islands, um, the British Caribbean islands, I think. Um, versus England um, at a time where racial tensions were extremely high in Britain, in London specifically, where this match is taking place, um, you can imagine that sparks flew. Now, I'm not going to tell you who won the match. Um, I think you'll have to, to stay tuned to find out. But we'll be going through four things this episode. Firstly, the context of the game, racial tensions, the situation in England, the game itself um, and who won and, and how they won. And then Calypso music, which played such a huge role in this specific win um, for whichever country it was. Um, and also in this particular moment. And also then the fourth point will be the aftermath um, and looking at what happened after the game. And the kind of legacy and the importance of this this match. It's not something that I think we think about too much uh, when we think about history, especially history of race um, and migration. But sports is such... I think a big, big moment. I think the Olympics are always a place where political lines are crossed, people's beliefs, their activism, they come to the forefront. You know, people like to say athletes should just be athletes um, and have no political opinions, no political leanings or, or any relation to any kind of big movements. But that we know that's not the case. Um, and I think this cricket match was an example of that. Um, but I also like and it's probably the way one of the ways I I began to really enjoy history as a kid was looking at it through sport um specifically you know the black power salute of 1968 at the world um olympics um I can't remember what country it was in um you know the the games where Hitler was in power 1936 olympics in Berlin you've got someone like Jesse Owens Coming to the front, you've got football matches where big, big political stances have been made. Players more recently, you know, if we think about Marcus Rashford, um, and his political points that have been made about, you know, children eating, which shouldn't really be political if you think about it. But hmm, the less we say about politics, the better, I think, after the weekend that everybody has probably had. But we're going to be getting into this episode shortly. Just to say, I think it's weird for me being here recording on my own with no guest because we've just finished the migration series, which if you are a regular and religious listener, I'm sure you will have listened to all four by now. And, you know, they were fantastic episodes. We were so blessed to have such wonderful guests. It's weird now being on my own with no one on the other side of Zoom or Zencaster or whatever other remote recording um, technicalities we have. Um, but yeah, today it's just me, so apologies that you'll be dealing with me and just me, but I really hope you enjoy this episode um, and let's get into it. So in 1950, June in Britain, as we've said, the Empire Windrush, you know, two years ago has landed. Um, not really landed, docked, that's a better word, it's not a plane. Um, and so a few other ships had come as well um, in that time. So there were about 
Estimates say around 5,000 Caribbean people in the whole of Britain at this point. But racial tensions are still really high because, as we know, British people did not know the power of empire across the world and they didn't understand the relationship that I think black people, brown people and other white people um, across the world had with Britain as their quote-unquote mother country in some cases. So racial tensions are high. British people are being as racist as they have always been and in some cases continue to be. Um, And so, you know, this match is, is very important. So to set the scene, cricket is a very long game. If anyone has ever played it or had the poor fortune of watching um, an extensive amount of cricket nowadays we have like 2020 cricket which is a lot quicker um but this at this point anyway um the cricket matches would have been days long but I think this was the final match that we're going to speak about today we're not going to go through all the all the cricketing you know wickets and runs and everything because first of all I barely know what that means and second of all I don't think it's relevant so we're at the final match. It's at Lords, um, which is in London. Um, and of course, you know, the West Indians that were living in Britain would have been really excited. Their their countrymen, you know, their fellow uh, men from home were going to be in their country um, if they weren't already playing for England, because there are actually West Indian cricketers that would have played in the British leagues in cricket. Um, Leary Constantine was one of them, actually, Um who we looked at an episode way, way back, a few months ago, I think. Um, So, yeah, some of the men um, that played for the West Indies might have already lived in Britain, but for the most part, they would have travelled over to play. Um, And, you know, the West Indian men, in the majority, they were men that had come on the ships like the Windrush, were keen to go and support. Um, It's reported that there probably were not more than 100 um, West Indian men in the stands on that day in June. Um, there would have been more supporters outside and there would have been probably people um, waiting at home or waiting to hear what had happened on the radio or the newspaper the next day. Um, but the atmosphere was like no other. It's been reported um, that the supporters brought so much noise, so much joy, so much support for their fellow men. You know, the situation in Britain for, for black men at that time would have been dire. Um, You know, they would have been very small in numbers, racial tensions are high, struggling to find houses, struggling to find work, potentially missing home and their families back home and still trying to send for them in some cases. And then they have this cricket match. And I don't know if you know any men, West Indian men, women especially, um, but I know that cricket is big in India and Pakistan as well. Um, Their teams do do quite well. But if you know anyone that is a big cricket fan or any sports fan, when it is time for that sport to be played and it's going to be a big match, the excitement is truly, truly there. And this was a case in the West um, Indies kind of supporting team. So um, the supporters were loud is what has been uh, described. Um, They were commentating on every ball, sound effects, comments. They were banging their um, pot lids. Rum bottles were being produced by magic, um, um, the Gleaner had said. Um, England's Daily Telegraph, uh, they reported on the Calypso that we'll speak about later. But, you know, 
the fans were making noise. They were here to support to the end um, their countrymen. Thought it would be a good idea to give a little bit of history to the West Indies cricket team. It's a multinational men's cricket team um, and it represents mainly the English-speaking countries in the Caribbean region. Um, it started quite early, um, a lot earlier than it got its kind of official status as an actual uh, team within you know, the cricket boards. Um, but yeah, it's made up of about 15 Caribbean territories, uh, mostly the English-speaking uh, countries like Barbados, uh, Trinidad, Jamaica, just to name a few. Um, however, it started as early as um, the 1890s um, and the first kind of representative sides were selected to play visiting English sides um, in the Caribbean. And then they joined an international ruling body in 1926 and played their first international match in 1928 where they were granted test status. Um, and they became the like fourth quote unquote test nation. Um, so in the early days, they would represent, of course, the British colonies because, you know, most of those, if not all, of those Caribbean territories are under British rule, especially if they're the, the English-speaking ones. But later, they formed the West Indies Federation. The last series they played um, before the outbreak of the war uh, was against England, actually, in 1939. And then there was a hiatus um, until 1948. Um, and, you know, this is only, what, two two years before this 1950 uh, test series in Britain. Um, and up until this point, England had beaten the West Indies in every single match they had ever played. I don't know if I've maybe given away what happens, but up until this point, you know, England had always been victorious. And to be honest, you can't really be surprised because England literally invented the game of cricket. And then they had their empire and then they spread this game and taught everybody else how to play so that they could play them and essentially beat them. So really and truly, what are we expecting from England other than another victory? But was that what happened? Well, right. So cricket, as I've said, I'm familiar with the game, but I'm not a pro. So I'm really relying on my internet sources today. So if anyone's listening as a big cricket fan and I've messed up your game and I've explained it wrong, please forgive me. Right. Test series is one of the ways that people play cricket. And by people, I mean international teams. And in this case, it was a four-match test. Some test series are three matches, four matches, five matches, six matches. They can be as little as one. It could be just a test, a test match, a singular test match. Bit of a tongue twister. So the dates of these games were from the 6th of May to the 5th of September 1950. Now that is a very long time to be finding out the winner of one series of games. It's kind of like a World Cup, I guess. In my head, I'm thinking about... I don't know if anybody remembers the last World Cup. I think it was 2018, that summer. I think everything was just fantastic. The sun was shining. It was very warm. Um, I graduated. It was a great summer. But can you imagine that atmosphere, but like 1950... Um, and also, you know, you're one of only about 5,000 black people in the country and racial tensions are really high, you're struggling. But your team might bring it home. So, just for a little bit of, of cricketing points, if you don't, if this goes over your head, I'm sorry, but I think it's interesting to note, actually, that they play. they're about to play four matches. So the first match, England win. No surprises there. They've won every single other match since 1890. Um, 
But the second test, that's the test we're actually speaking about today. This that happened on the 29th of June, 1950. I thought it was actually the final because for the final, the whole thing overall, they won 3-1. Surprise! <laughs> the West Indies win. But this particular game on the 29th of June is the first time the West Indies ever beat England and it's the second uh, test match. And so the West Indies... Um, yeah, they've done it. They've won. And that is why everybody goes crazy. And this is the momentum they need to kind of win overall, which they win 3-1 and they win three in a row because England wins the first one. Um, so, immortalised by the Calypsonians we are soon to speak about, Sonny Ramdin and Alf Valentine were some of the big names in that cricket match. Sonny Ramdin um, of Indian origin from Trinidad and Tobago, dominant bowler. Um, and between the two of them, um, him and Alf, they pick up 59 wickets, which is where you get the other person out. Sorry if I'm over-explaining, but I just can't assume that people know about cricket. Um, Alf Valentine is from Kingston, Jamaica. Um, and he, as well, as I said, 59 wickets between them, the kind of standout players of the game. Obviously, cricket is a team sport, so we've got to mention as much of the team as possible. Um, the three W's, Clyde Walcott, Everton Weeks and Frank Worrell, all from Bridgetown, Barbados. Clyde Walcott went on to be um, the first non-white and first non-English chairman of the ICC, the International Cricket Council. Um, and they were part of the batting lineup, should I say. Sonny Ramdim and Alf Valentine are more bowling on the side of bowlers, dominant bowlers at that. Everton Weeks coached the Canadian team um, in the World Cup later on in his life, becomes an international commentator and match referee. Frank Worrell, he is knighted, he becomes a senator in Jamaica, studies economics in England, um, and he's actually the first sportsman to have a memorial service at Westminster Abbey. Um, that is kind of how their careers all went on. And it's funny because I think Cricket isn't really a quote-unquote popular sport with maybe young people today. Um, but back then, cricket kind of was the cool thing to do, especially if you were from the Caribbean. Um, and I think in the Caribbean, it is still the cool thing to do. The West Indies aren't... Let me not pass judgment on the West Indies right now because I'm not really up to date, but from the frustrations of uncles in my in my life, you know, that's, that's all we'll say about that, shall we? Um, but there we go, some names. Sonny Ramdin, Alf Valentine, Clyde Walcott, Everton Weeks, Frank Worrell, just to name a few. Obviously, in terms of cricket and the history of cricket, we've spoken about Leary Constantine. If you haven't listened to that episode already, go back and do so. That's talking about cricket pre-World War II. Um, and it's, I think, a lot different to how it is now um, because a lot of uh, the kind of context is even more fraught with racial tensions, especially with Louis Constantine in his case against um, Imperial London Hotels, of, of racial discrimination, um, but not because racial discrimination wasn't illegal then, as in it was bad. People probably thought you shouldn't do it, but there was no law against it because it wasn't prevalent enough. Whereas, um, you know, fast forward, it's uh, more of an issue uh, when we think about 1950s Britain. So there we go. We've set it up. We know that the West Indies win. We know that the West Indian supporters are out in full force. And I'll keep saying West Indian because I'm kind of speaking about um, majority men from the British-speaking, English-speaking Caribbean islands um, and territories like Guyana, which I didn't realise. I think I've said this before, but it's not it's not an island. It's actually on the top of South America as part of the landmass um, of like Brazil, Argentina, all of those countries. So we're speaking about, you know, that part of the world and... 
the game, as we've said, they win first time ever historically. And then the Calypso. The Calypso, I think, is the reason why we know this game so well. Why um, Sonny Ramdi and Al Valentine are names that I have, you know, subconsciously taken in before because of these fantastic Calypso Indians straight from Trinidad um, that come to immortalise this through song. And I'm thinking about football a lot and comparing because I think that's kind of the dominant sport now in, in British society. But when you have a song, like a World Cup song, like I think Shakira had that World Cup song when the games were in, I can't remember, wherever they were. Um, you know, that song sticks in your head and that's the memory of that World Cup, whatever the song might be at the time. And so this song kind of immortalises and uh, creates kind of like a public memory of this uh, test match in 1950. So another thing I love about this story is the actual controversy um, of who wrote this big calypso. Now I would play the calypso but I'm actually scared of copyright and I always say I'm scared and then I play it anyway but there was a point a quite a few months ago where all of my podcasts vanished from Spotify and I panicked and even on my like dashboard where I can see the episodes I've posted and I can edit they were all gone like the history hotline was it didn't exist if anybody tried to listen I think it was like a Monday evening they were gone I don't know if anybody noticed nobody said or messaged me but I noticed because I was doing some work at the time on the podcast and it really panicked me and when I was googling why this could happen it was like oh copyright breaches and I was like you know what let's not take any more chances so I will point you in the direction of that calypso the link will be in the show notes and I'll also post it on social media so you can listen but it won't be featured here today um, and I think that's okay as well it's quite a long calypso you know there aren't really the three minute rules that apply in normal kind of songs today so this song is um done by I I believe it's Lord Beginner However, Lord Kitchener also takes credit. Um, Lord Kitchener, for anybody that doesn't know, is the man that comes off the Empire Windrush and is singing, London is the place for me. He's that guy. So he's already a famous Calypsonian. He's only been in England for about two years at this point, but he's got built a career before that um, at home, and now he's continuing. Lord Beginner, um, similarly... Big Calypsonian, massive name. And you might be thinking, why are they called, like, Lord this, Lord that? Lord Kitchener, for anybody that wants to go all the way back, is actually the guy in the posters in World War Two that was like, we need you. Um, I think he says we need you to, to kind of build up the reserves of men for the war and to, to recruit more soldiers um, during the war. That's Lord Kitchener. Now, the fact that this Trinidadian man is then claiming and calling himself Lord Kitchener, a big general, war general, war, quote-unquote, war hero, um, is very facetious in some ways. It's very, you know, satirical, quite tongue-in-cheek of the Calypsonians, but that is what Calypso is. It's a very tongue-in-cheek genre. It's storytelling. It is putting a spin on things. It's quite satirising at times. Um, and I think they give themselves these lordly titles when, obviously, um, you know, they're not lords, quote-unquote. They've not been granted that title by the Queen or whoever. But they are playing on this idea that, you know, well, what is what is a lord even? You know, who are they to have a title above everybody else kind of thing? So if they can, we can. We're as great as them in different ways, so we'll have a title as well. Um, and there are lots of kind of lords in Calypso. Um, as a genre, it is very satirical and it is quite mocking. Um, I think I was in a clubhouse room um, a few weeks back that was discussing um, Calypsonians and the ways in which they've named themselves and their Calypsos um, to kind of mock British 
colonialism and imperialism um, and kind of how, not foolish it is, because it's obviously a very real and in some cases very damaging thing, but to kind of mock the pomp and circumstance of it all, um, which I love because I think Britain is full of pomp and circumstance and honours and labels and titles and awards and we're all human beings really, so it's just all a bit ridiculous to me, but that's just the society that we live in. I can't lie, that was quite the tangent. So to get me back on task, I'm going to read an extract from Mike Phillips and Trevor Phillips' text called Windrush, The Irresistible Rise of Multiracial Britain. Another text I would definitely recommend. Um, It's not one I've read cover to cover, but I've picked out relevant chapters depending on what I'm studying at the time. Because it was written in 1998, um, it is speaking about Britain from the context of like multiculturalism, which was bit more of a buzzword than it is now um, and that kind of thing so this is a quote from Lord Kitchener who as I said was one of the Calypsonians um, and he says this is about at the end of the match the West Indies had secured the victory fans invaded the pitch ready to party as I said they had already been very verbal and vocally present during the game, banging dustbin lids, pot lids, drinks were flowing, food was flowing. You know, Caribbean people know how to party, they know how to eat, they know how to have a good time. Um, And this is exactly what they were doing. I think it was some probably much needed relief from the everyday drudgery of Britain and its racism and problems that it was creating for black people. So, his memories of the day. And I quote, I went there with a guitar and we won the match. After we won the match, I took my guitar and I called a few West Indians and I went around the cricket field singing and I had an answering chorus behind me and we went around the field singing and dancing. That was a song that I made up. So while we're dancing up, come a policeman and arrested me. And while he was taking me out of the field, the English people bore him. They said, leave him alone. Let him enjoy himself. They won the match. Let him enjoy himself. And he had to let me loose because he was embarrassed. So I took the crowd with me, singing and dancing from Lords into Piccadilly in the heart of London. And while we're singing and dancing and going to Piccadilly, the people opened their windows wondering what's happening. I think it was the first time they'd ever seen such a thing in England. And we're dancing in Trinidad style, like mass and dance right down Piccadilly and dance around Eros. So, as you can imagine, this scene, they've invaded the pitch, you know, it's completely, the match has been won, it's over, and they're on the pitch. Guitars, music, and there's a beautiful picture that whenever I see, I just smile, I beam, because it's just a group of of black people full of joy. And it's not something I feel like we see often enough, unfortunately. Um, But they're on the pitch with their guitars and, you know, Lord Kitchener was arrested momentarily. The English crowds are booing, saying, let them enjoy, let them have a good time. He said it's like mass. If you don't know what mass is, um, mass is part of carnival culture. It's where you you dress up, you kind of sometimes can become a different kind of being or or representation of something else and you have a good time and you party, essentially, in its most simplest form. Um, And that's exactly what they're doing. Now, Lord Kitchener here is telling us that's a song he made up, but Lord Beginner would tell you a different story. Um, And you can hear, I think Lord Kitchener did make up a song, though. I just think it's not the song that is remembered by the majority of people, um, which... I'll put in the show notes, you can listen to after. So, you know, it's immortalised, this moment is is kind of stamped in, and it's also remembered by the papers, because, as he said, you know, he doesn't think 
the English people have ever seen anything like this before. And I think he's right. You know, Carnival doesn't exist yet. Uh, Notting Hill Carnival or St Pancreas Town Hall Carnival as it first started comes later on in the 50s. So prior to this, you know, I don't think British people maybe were even aware of the way in which Caribbean people celebrate and party. And as we've said, there are only about 5,000 Caribbean people in uh, Britain at this point. Um, I can't, I don't know, like I've I've taken that quote from somewhere but I can't even wrap my head around it myself that there was such a small amount of Caribbean people. I know we're still a minority um, in this country, but 5,000 is really, really small. To be dotted around um, the cities is is wild to me. So since I'm not going to put the actual uh, song link in, I'm going to butcher it by reading out the lyrics in this very strong British accent that I possess. Uh, not at all in the Calypsonian Trinidad way. I'm sorry, forgive me. Um, but cricket, lovely cricket. The um, Calypso is called Victory Calypso, by the way. Um, and it is about, you know, Sonny Ramdin predominantly and Al Valentine. And then the three W's that I mentioned earlier, Walcott Weeks and Worrell. So cricket, lovely cricket at Lords where I saw it. Cricket, lovely cricket at Lords where I saw it. Yardley tried his best, but Goddard won the test. They gave the crowd plenty fun. Second test and West Indies won. Um, chorus with those two little pals of mine, Ramdin and Valentine. Walcott, Weeks and Worrell held up their name with wonder shots throughout the game, but England was beaten clean out of time with the spin bowling and Ramdin and Valentine. West Indies was feeling homely, their audience had them happy. When Washbrook's century had ended, West Indies' voices all blended, hats went in the air, People shout and jump without fear. So at Lords was the scenery. It bound to go down in history. And down in history it has gone. I'm here now on the History Outline talking about it. Um, sorry for the the lack of Trinidadian, Calypsonian accent melody. But please do listen to it. It will make your day. Honestly, Calypso is one of those genres that just puts a smile on my face immediately and makes me want to get up and dance regardless of what I'm doing. Um, probably a good job I'm not listening to it right now. Otherwise, this podcast wouldn't get recorded. Um, anyway, so as I've said, there was a dispute between who wrote this, Lord Kitchener, Lord Beginner. Um, but the recording of it's done by Lord Beginner. Whether Lord Kitchener actually wrote it, I don't know. We won't. We won't ever know, will we? Um, time has passed. Um, but as they said, or um, as beginner recorded, um, it was bound to go down in history. And I think one of my favourite lines in there is: "Is people shout and jump without fear." This kind of one moment where, as I said, the picture of of them invading the pitch um, and the joy and happiness on their faces of a time that I just can't imagine the weight on their shoulders of trying to find a house trying to find work, thinking about their family back home. Um, the kind of weight of, of racism, it's not something that's spoken about, but it, it, it can be a very debilitating force, thinking that, you know, a whole society is against you, doesn't like you, doesn't care for you, without even knowing you, really. Um, but this kind of moment of, like, respite, of relief, is, is very clear in the Calypso and in some of the imagery we see with this uh, moment in history. And obviously, as we've mentioned, the three W's, Worrell, Walcott and Weeks, uh, Sonny Ramdin, Alf Valentine, all mentioned. Um, it is clear they were so, so happy. And as I said, another point of reference is the newspapers of that day um, that really did record what was happening um, and immortalised it, really. When you've got newspaper articles, um, it kind of gives you a kind of context to it all and also 
lets us know how important it was because it would have made the front pages um, or if it didn't then we would know that too. So I won't read out every single possible headline or article but Daily Telegraph and the Morning Post said Calypso sung at Lords. Probably the first time Calypso was sung at Lords. The Times, the West Indian supporters created an atmosphere of joy such as Lords had never known before. The Evening Standard really had to let the side down. And we quote their headline, the blackest day for English cricket. Now, I really don't know. Were they being racist? Hmm. Or were they being ironic? You know, the blackest day, quote unquote, because, oh, black people had never won at Lords before. Um, So, yes, that was the kind of headline news. I really don't like what the Evening Standard did there about the blackest day for English cricket. First of all, black being a negative word always has grounded my gears. But secondly, yeah, you you know what I'm alluding to there. Um, So, not to leave on a less positive note, I think the fact that West Indian supporters created an atmosphere of joy such as Lords had never known before... Um, It's quite a nice thing. Probably should end on that one from the Times um, instead of the others. Um, And, you know, the fact that they were beating out time on dustbin lids. Bottles of rum were produced like magic, which was a Gleaner's headline, as I mentioned earlier. It just seemed like a fantastic day for um, West Indian people in Britain. Um, And a moment of maybe be peace. A nice moment of respite to kind of forget the worries of, of... the world and British society and navigating it in the way that they were having to do um, at this point. So that is all we have time for today. I hope you have a wonderful week if you are listening this week. Go out, be great, do all the things that you desire and plan to do. Um, And I'll see you here next week for the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.